What's up, everybody? Welcome to another edition of the All Sooners Podcast. Holy cow, we made it, guys. Uh, I think episode 205, y'all. How about that? We're still rolling strong. Today's a special edition post-game podcast. Oklahoma takes down. I guess you could say takes down. I said outlasts in my game story. SMU 28 to 11. What an odd score. And really, Ryan, what an odd game. Yeah, really, really weird contest. Weird during the game, odd after the game, which we will get to. Um, a, a game in which Oklahoma's offense sputtered and needed to get turned on a couple of times, and then suddenly when it was closing time, they finished about as strong as they had played all game. The defense, I, I don't think the defense performance was as weird, Hoove. Uh, we'll get into it, but kind of as we previewed, um, SMU did ask some questions of Oklahoma. It wasn't perfect. There were some explosive plays allowed. But overall, OU's defense played really well, and I think the end result was a game that Brent Venables said in his post-game press conference. He's not sure if last year's team would have won that game, and that's a sign of growth, and that was a con consistent theme through all the guys that I at least talked to after the game. Yeah, we talked to a lot of players, uh, three coaches, including Brent Venables, and uh, the, the word was something like, uh, if this was last year, we probably would have lost this game. Or this was one of those games that we might have lost last year. Last year's team would have lost. I can't remember exactly the quote. But, it, Randall, it was there um, for, for SMU to, to stun the fan base. Okay, here's the quote. A year ago, I'm not sure we would have figured out a way to win that game. That's the quote. Thank you uh, for that. that was, uh, that's telling. When your head coach says they were 0-5 in close games last year, 0-5. Uh, this wasn't a close game. Remember, we're talking about one-score one games. But this thing was, help me out, guys, 14-11 to 11 in the fourth quarter before Oklahoma scored a couple of touchdowns. Yeah, I mean, so like you said, the final score might not have been one of those one-score losses that OU suffered, you know, so commonly last year. But it, it, it had the chance to trend that direction. I mean, with the score... 14-3 uh, to 3 SMU scores and instead of you know just kicking that extra point they go for two they get the two-point conversion and that puts them within three points of Oklahoma I mean since uh, the first few drives that OU had had their offense had gone really stagnant and um, you know after after SMU kind of uh, you know put that fear in them uh, kind of brought the game really close I think they were down by three with around nine minutes left in the game um, from that point on uh, OU kind of put the pedal to the metal on defense they really stepped up uh, and they got some some uh, turnovers on downs and an interception after that on offense. They scored twice on two really quick drives, um, kind of different play calling than we'd seen the rest of the game up to that point on those last two drives. So, like like we said earlier, it was uh, it was weird, but in the end, OU was able to, uh, like you said, outlast and you know maybe get get one of those hard fought victories that they might not have been able to pull out last year. Yeah, I want to say I, I was going to say Oklahoma got basically three turnovers. They got a fumble which was a brilliant freaking play by Key, Key Lawrence, who all he did was reach in. Here comes a guy, he's getting ready to stiff arm, and he pops the ball out like he's swatting a fly. I've never seen a force fumble like that. He just swatted at it. It was, it was amazing. Uh, they had a block punt, which resulted in a touchdown, and then in the fourth quarter they had an interception, which resulted in a kneel down at the end of the game. I think that's right. Um, Ryan, the defense, you mentioned it at the top. Three turnovers, got some three and outs, uh, forced some punts. Uh, they did the defense for the most 
part of the game, it looked like they were going to get uh, SMU with, with their brilliant offense, right, that we talked about all week, dynamic, dangerous guys, guys that OU recruited. Here, the uh, there's bugs flying around in here. It's freaking me out a little bit. <laughs> it's one cricket. We got one cricket. I didn't know crickets uh, could fly like that. What well, the heck? Here, here's the thing. Uh, the All Sooners podcast, sure. it's taken over the world, and, and we have a live <laughs> studio <laughs> audience here for, yeah, for all of you while, right. while you watch the spat. Radiation has uh, changed the cricket population. Anyway, <laughs> uh, I don't even know where I was going with that. Oklahoma's defense. <laughs> Oklahoma's defense was brilliant, and SMU's offense came in. We thought they were dangerous and dynamic. Like I said, a bunch of guys OU had recruited, some committed to OU, uh, and flipped, eventually got to SMU. Here we, you know, late in the stages of this state, golly, I can't talk, late stages of this game, it is after midnight. Uh, we're looking around and we're going, wait a minute, SMU's only got three points. That was an impressive performance by the OU defense. Yeah, we'll couch this whole thing by this doesn't mean that Oklahoma's defense is going to go out and be a top 10 defense this year, anything like that. But but what are problems that they've had a ton the past, oh, I don't know, a decade maybe? Uh, giving up a big play and that snowballing and costing you an entire drive. Last year, this defense faded in the fourth quarter a lot. Well, it wasn't the five three and outs that they forced against Arkansas State a week ago because as we uh, – said coming out of that game and it was only reinforced by Arkansas State's result against Memphis. They stink. Uh, but this is a good SMU offense that came in here. I don't think it's a top 15 offense or maybe a unit that's even as efficient as they were last year. But they've got skill positions. They, they can hurt you. And there were a couple of drives, a bunch of drives, where SMU picked up a first down or had a big play or, or something like that. And in years past, the Oklahoma defense, you give up that one big play, it would have crumpled. But instead, Oklahoma's defense was able to to rally and, and bow up a lot of times. They they held SMU to four of 16 on third downs. That's that situational football that they didn't play at all um, last year and that they've really struggled. It's complimentary football. It's been a huge buzzword around here dating back to Lincoln's days, things like that. that <laughs> before that. Yeah, well, before that as well, but especially dominated the conversation. And, and they were able to have big timely plays. The, the offense, we'll get into all of that, but you saw Oklahoma was able to utilize that depth. Kit Lewis, Kobe McKenzie, those guys were rotating in over and over from the jump. Gentry Williams went down. Brent Venable said after the game that he just tightened up in the second half. So it sounds, I don't know if you guys got a different vibe that maybe he was cramping or something of the sort because he said he just tightened up in the second half because he came back after initially leaving. But Kenai Walker played a ton, and Oklahoma was able to withstand that. And so that's something that you hadn't seen in the past. And if this is just a baseline for what this defense is going to be, I think it's pretty clear based off the first two games. Oklahoma's defense has made improvements. I think they've made significant improvements. 40 spots in total defense would put them in the 80s. So a significant improvement doesn't mean they're an elite group, but I think they are clearly... I don't know what the threshold for a different planet is, but they're a lot better than they were last year. That's a good call. Um, I'm purely speculating here, but when he said tightened up, when he said Gentry Williams tightened up, I thought he meant his neck because he hit the dude helmet to helmet and then came back and, and helped with the tackle. Um, so I thought he meant like his neck because that was he was laying on the ground and they were looking at his head and neck area. So hopefully he's okay. Hopefully there's nothing serious there. Uh, Randall, I'm looking at some of these stats. Um, SMU did not have a 100-yard rusher, did not have a 100-yard receiver. They had Jalen Knighton, former OU commit, right, uh, 76 yards. He popped a 23-yard run. Um, they had a couple of receivers. One guy had seven catches for 73 yards. They had a, a 
30-yarder and a 29-yarder, I think, and a 27-yarder, something like that, a 20-yarder and a 19-yarder. Um, but what did you think? What did you make of the way Oklahoma kind of minimized the damage that they were doing? They didn't let any big plays stack up. Yeah, and I, I think Ryan kind of mentioned that you know in the past we've seen uh, if an OU defense does allow a big play, a lot of times that snowballs, and that one big play turns into a touchdown on this drive, then a touchdown on the next drive, and then OU's in a shootout. And you know tonight that didn't happen on those few plays that they did allow a big play, Key Lawrence is catching up and punching the ball out on a long run down the field. Or, you know, they're playing this bend-don't-break style defense where even if they do uh, allow SMU to get across the 50-yard the line, they're not, they're not allowing them to get seven points out of it, you know. One time SMU kicked a field goal, they went for it on fourth down a few times, uh, and Justin Harrington got an interception in their side of the ball. So that, and then in, in addition to that, OU really hurt themselves with penalties. So. Um, being able to fight through all those penalties, being able to, uh, you know, really not let one bad play uh, stick in their mind, uh, kind of rebound and, you know, forget the last play, go make the next play. Uh, OU was really able to, to do that well on the defensive side of the ball. On the defensive line, that those guys up there really, really helped cover up for that with, uh, you know, them stuffing the run. A lot of times, at the line of scrimmage, the linebackers, uh, Kanak, Stutzman, those guys were flying around. I know Ryan mentioned Kip Lewis and Kobe McKenzie. Those guys were flying around making plays, uh, kind of cleaning up everything that OU should have done. And so, uh, you know, there's a few, few missed plays, and then we saw that against Arkansas State too, busted coverages, things like that. But that's going to happen. And as long as OU's defense can do what they did today, they can recover from that. And they cannot let their opponents, uh, you know, turn those big plays into, you know, touchdowns on every drive. Then that's what Ryan said is going to be a huge uh, help after finishing almost 120th in the country last year in total defense. Yeah, so Oklahoma has allowed now in two games 11 points. The last time that they allowed 11 points or less in their first two games, 1999, guys, according to the game notes. Also, this is the third time in school history that they've beaten somebody 20 to 11. One of the other times was against SMU, 28 to 11, 28 to 11. What an odd score. And uh, here we go. It's SMU, so I should have picked 28 to 11 instead of 39 24. Well, knowing their return trip when they head to Dallas, right. so like 28 27. Uh, another thing, too, Randall mentioned the penalties. Peyton Bowen in the post game said it was three penalties for 45 yards on SMU's uh, lone touchdown drive. It wasn't quite 45 yards, but it was three penalties on the plus side of the 50 on Oklahoma's side. You had two pass interferences. One of them was not a pass interference. Yeah. Uh, that ref needs to send a fruit basket to Peyton Bowen. <laughs> and then Brent Middles got dinged for the sideline interference, which didn't affect the outcome of the play, but it added more yards onto the other end of that. So Oklahoma really helped SMU out. And especially that that last Peyton Bowen pass interference, that was a well-defended play. Yeah. Oklahoma was going to have forced a field goal in that spot. It was yeah. going to be 14-6 to six instead of 14-11. to 11. The bad calls happen, and if Oklahoma had stopped them at any point going further down the field, wouldn't have been in that spot. I get that. But, I mean, how many times have we been able, we've been able to come in here Hoove, uh, and talk about Oklahoma gave up one touchdown in a game, and that one touchdown was helped out by penalties that were really – it wasn't a we need to take this pass interference to, to save a touchdown. It was penalties that should be cleaned up. Yeah, I agree. Uh Randall, last week we talked a lot about a lack of pass rush. 
I saw some of the same game planning that we saw today that we saw last week, which was a little bit of max protect. I think uh, Jeff Levy was saying, or uh, Ted, sorry, Ted Roof was saying they blocked with seven a lot of the routes. Uh, you saw three and four receivers out. You saw backs out of the backfield a lot, which explains why so many running backs were catching so many passes for SMU tonight. But uh, Preston Stone, very impressive. Only 26 of 45, so just a little better than 50%, but uh, 250 yards. He hit a couple of big ones. Yeah. What did you make of Oklahoma's lack of penetration, pass rush, whatever you want to call it? Yeah, I mean, for the second week in a row, it's been low sack numbers. I, I don't think they recorded a sack today. Uh, Ethan Downs did get one. It was not wiped off the board. I think that was a face mask call, maybe, mm -hmm. that, that, that took that off the board. But um, Preston Stone still did not have the easiest day. I mean, he was running around a lot. Uh, and even on a few of those really nice touch passes he made, it was with guys in his face. Um, so I think that, that obviously the better teams you play, I mean, we saw Texas just took down Alabama. When you get to games like that, you're gonna have to get to the quarterback. You're gonna have to put some pressure in his face. You're gonna have to rattle those guys, the Quinn Ewers, the Jalen Daniels, some of the other top tier quarterbacks you'll play in the Big 12. If you wanna have a chance to slow down those offenses, you have to rattle those quarterbacks. You have to get to them. You have to hit them, put them on their back, get them dirty. Uh, and we haven't seen that these first two games, despite the fact that OU's defensive line has been really cleaning up the run game at the line of scrimmage really well. They've really made these last two quarterbacks, Preston Stone and JT Shrout, run around in the backfield and kind of run for their lives. I'm sure Preston Stone uh, got some cardio in tonight <laughs> doing all the running that he was doing in the backfield. But uh, you, you have the, that being said, you still have to finish those plays. Otherwise, you know, making him run around doesn't doesn't get it done. I was. Um, let's talk about the offense. Unless you got anything more on the defense. No. Yeah. Let's let's switch to the offense. I was pretty impressed with Dylan Gabriel uh, in two areas: um, his ability to move and decide to run with the football. I'm going to run this thing, and I'm going to pick up positive yards. And then his patience with uh, the way the way they were doing uh, a lot of their defense looked like it was kind of an umbrella coverage, where everything if we can just force them down low, we can tackle them in bounds and things like that. And, and Dylan Gabriel patiently took the check down. He threw six, or he, I don't know how many he threw uh, targets. I don't I don't have the targets here. Thank you. Uh, Nineteen or twenty-seven. Yeah, I'm looking at uh, running back targets. So three, seven, eight. He threw, uh, threw to the running backs eight times. They caught six passes for about 50, 45 yards, and one of them broke free for a touchdown, Marcus Major's touchdown. I asked him about the contributions that the running backs were making during the, in, in the passing game, and he, he, uh, he kind of answered it as, hey, man, that's just part of the offense. That's part of the check down process. That's part of taking what they give you. So I was impressed that he showed patience and yet aggressiveness in the same game. Yeah, it wasn't a situation like last week where only three incompletions or anything like that. He had a couple of drops tonight, but two of the things he did last week that I didn't see a ton of last year, don't remember seeing a ton of last year, was going over the middle of the field. Well, guess where a lot of Dylan Gabriel's drops came? Over the middle of the field. Uh, not Dylan Gabriel's drops, but balls by Dylan Gabriel that were dropped. And then I thought last week he was really efficient using the checkdowns, didn't have to use them a ton. And tonight he put Oklahoma in situations where I, I just don't recall a ton of third and longs outside of drives where like the offensive line had a penalty or something like that. It wasn't a third and long because the offense didn't make things happen. And I think as a result of that, I know people aren't going to hear this because I thought tonight's offense looked a lot like last year's offense where 
they'd have this great drive where everything hits for three play. Like, just take the first drive and the second drive and put them together. The first drive looked about as discombobulated as it could, which that's a scripted drive. I don't understand how that happens. Drive number two looked like a continuation of the script because it was boom, 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 three plays in. And that was what I think drew, drove a lot of Oklahoma fans mad. Here's how you know that Dylan Gabriel was better and how Oklahoma was better at not getting to those third and longs. Look at the two second half drives, the first two drives in the second half. First one ends in a punt, nine plays, 31 yards, 342 elapsed off the clock, ended in a punt. I don't remember drives going 342 at all last year. Yep. Drive number two, where we got to see the Jackson Arnold package again, which we'll have to name, because Brent Mills doesn't want to do it. 11 plays, 43 yards, that ticked 404 off the clock. Look, you're gonna have to score a bunch of points if you wanna win the big games, and they're gonna have to fix that. The running game looked discombobulated. I thought Jeff Levy's play calling was borderline awful in the second and third quarter, but it wasn't as bad as it was last year. There's still a ton of improvement. It's not perfect, anything like that, but uh, I think Dylan Gabriel is a big part of that, both his decision making and what he was able to do with his legs, because he just he looks more athletic of a runner this year than no, last year. I agree, but faster, more explosive, quicker, whatever it is. Uh, Randall, 19 of 27, 70% completion, uh, 176 yards, 27 throws, 176 yards, taking those checkdowns. Buddy threw four touchdown passes. I, I love Dylan Gabriel's game tonight. His passer efficiency rating which a lot of people in these parts tend to uh, tend to lean on after Sam Bradford, Baker Mayfield, and Kyler Murray, and Jalen Hurts set those numbers so high. Passer efficiency was 174, which is very good. Not elite, but it's very good. Yeah, I mean, it, it was one of those games where, you know, being down there on the field and the way those those middle two quarters went with Jeff Levy, really, he even said it himself in the postgame, really making that play calling too conservative. And I mean, he said... He said that himself. He said he got too conservative in those in the middle parts of the game. What fourth and third and seven, and you run up the middle? Right. And and, and I mean, I also run in the same play with Jackson Arnold yeah. multiple times on the same down and distance every single time. Yeah. Same formation, same pack. I mean, regardless, uh, DG. Look, watching him, you know, when watching the offense, it it didn't feel like they had a great night. But then after Marcus Major goes in for the touchdown, you look up on the scoreboard and you realize Dylan Gabriel's thrown four touchdowns <laughs> and not made a lot of mistakes himself. I mean, obviously there's incompletions here and there, but there was no balls that you looked at and you're like, okay, that should have been an interception or, oh, wow, that was a terrible decision or I don't know where he was even thinking about going with that ball. Everything seemed very methodical, very um, planned out and like you guys said, he didn't force anything. When, when there was nothing there, he took the check down or he got out of the pocket and he ran. And I thought one thing I really liked was his decisiveness with that. Yeah. It didn't seem like he was taking too long to decide to right. where, oh, well, now it's too late, I'm, I'm sacked. It, he, he saw once his guys weren't open, he tucked and he ran. And even if he didn't pick up any huge gains on the ground, it's it, those, those short gains, you know, three, four, five, six yards, is a lot better than him getting dropped in the backfield, setting the offense back even further. Yeah, like his touchdown run last week where he right. checks one, checks two, checks three, then goes back here and then says, hey, I guess I'll run. He didn't do that tonight. He didn't uh, scan the field for very long. He didn't have to. Um, Jackson Arnold? Well, before we get to Jackson Arnold, okay. just thinking 19 to 27, okay, 
There was a miscommunication with Gavin Freeman that should have been an easy completion. That was a drop, right? You're talking about Not a drop. It, no, this was the first quarter because it was going toward the north end zone. Yep. And it looked like the line thought RPO and Freeman was just blocking. Oh, yeah, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So that one was a miscommunication that Emma Jones was all over Freeman. Uh, there was another miscommunication with L.B. Bunkley Shelton where Emma Jones was all over L.B. Bunkley Shelton. Then there was the other Freeman drop as yep. Gabriel was rolling out. Yep. And then there was the Andrew Anthony yeah, drop. Yeah. That's four balls yep. that should have been probably easy completions. And suddenly I think if if Dylan Gabriel's 23 of 27, probably in the 210, 220 range in, in passing yards, I wonder, A, how much different the offense looks as far as finding the rhythm. But I, I bet a lot of people, if you told them that stat line coming into the game, they'd be like, oh, yeah, another efficient <laughs> performance from Dylan Gabriel. Yeah, I thought Dylan was really good, and that's a great illustration of how yeah. good he was. Uh, Jackson Arnold, this thing's getting a little weird. You can tell fans want to love the belldozer package, for lack of a better word. We'll c try to come up with a name for it. We need Jake Trotter. He came up with the belldozer. Um, <laughs> you can tell fans want to love it, right? He comes on the field and everybody gets excited, and then he takes the snap and runs two yards into the line of scrimmage and falls down. It's like, a, it's like you, you've got a mule in your backyard. You want to love the mule, but it just kind of stands there, right? I don't know. That's a bad analogy, I'm sure. But uh, they got to come up with a nickname first because right now Brent Venables said, and I think uh, Levy confirmed, they call it Sub. No, don't call it Sub. Come up with something cute or we will, right? Um, but I just well, thought they, it was very unimaginative. They've got, first off, Peyton Bowen talked about their, they've got the Cyclone package and the six-pack defensively when they get into third and long. <laughs> I do not believe for a second yeah. that that doesn't have a name. <laughs> but if it has a name, then it's one of those things. It's like the, the stray cat, right? You can't name it, otherwise the kids are going to want to keep it. I yeah. think if they name it, the fans have something to latch on to. Well. And the fans are going to want to keep it, despite asked, the fact that they're running right into the back of the line of scrimmage. I'll, I'll give you guys the full goods right here. I asked Dylan Gabriel, does it have a nickname? And he said, uh, he looks over where Jeff Levy was talking, and he's like, uh, I don't know if I'm allowed to say what it is. We have a nickname, but we'll just hold on to it for now. So there's a name out there for the Jackson Arnold Belldozer package. We've got to come up with something, though. But anyway, what I was getting at was it was very... Four plays for 11 yards? Is that what it was? And most of that came on one yeah. run. The one four plays, four rushes, 11 yards, 2.8 per carry. No imagination whatsoever. Yeah, I, I've With got... With your five-star freshman quarterback! I've, ah! I've got a blanket statement, and this isn't meant to be a shot at anybody. When you go six and seven, I don't want you to be vanilla next year. You, can, <laughs> you cannot afford... Who are you saving point. it for? Yeah. You were, it was 14 to 11 with SMU on your home field the fourth quarter. Quit the vanilla crap. Just play football. You're not good enough. Brent Venables said they're not good enough to worry about Billy Bowman not playing special teams. Yep. I got news for you. You're not good enough to hide the passing play out of that package for Texas. Cincinnati looked, uh, I don't know how that finished, but they gave Pitt a fight, a team that was totally rebuilt. Iowa State defensively looks like they're still fine despite who knows who's gambling the names. You are not good enough to hide that crap. Jeff Levy, this offense is not good enough to get conservative for two quarters of football. Yes. I don't understand. Stop that. Anyway, uh, Jackson Arnold. They all, most of that yardage came on the one time that he actually busted through as well. Mm -hmm. He looked comfortable. I understand if you're going into short yardage, Dylan Gabriel's capable. 
but not wanting to get hit and all that stuff, seeing yeah. as you've got the whole offense available with Gabriel, someone comes in, because you know what's going to happen. Uh, if Jackson's in that package, everyone's going to try and put a hat on his right shoulder. That's just, that's football. That's what happens. I got it. And so I get not wanting to run Gabriel to that, but you can't just run the same play over and over, even against SMU. I got a bad feeling about the Jackson Arnold package, the Jackson Arnold play that we saw four times. And that is he's six foot, six, maybe a shade over six foot, 200 pounds, 205. Um, he's not 6'6, 250, like Blake Bell. You cannot. Uh, he's a five star quarterback. You've said it many times. He's the face of the future of this program. I. I'll be honest with you. It's fun to watch him do it. I hate it. I absolutely hate bringing a freshman in. I had two thoughts. One thought was, I leaned over to you and I said, this one's going to be a pass. No, not a pass. Just leaned into the, and I think it was the one where they came up short on the fourth down, which was a disaster. The other is Kevin Sperry, uh, Michael Hawkins, What's the kid's name from, from Ohio, the quarterback? Zerbrug. Zerbrug. They're looking at that going, that's what they do with their freshman quarterbacks? They full, make them play fullback into the line? Make them play single wing tailback? What is that? I, I don't know. I just, I'm not a big fan of, uh, of the Jackson Arnold package. I would be a better fan if they ran some stuff out of it, yeah. not just, hey, we need two yards. Go in there and get us two yards. He's not that dude. He's not, if you're going to run the Wildcat, Get a six foot, two hundred and twenty five pound running back to run the Wildcat, not your five star future quarterback. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I think I mentioned it to you know just a few minutes ago when we were talking about this. It felt like every time they pulled that play out, it was the same down and distance mm -hmm. every time. And I mean, when you're running the same package with the you know out of the same set, same down and distance, I mean, the defense is going to pick up on that. Yep. Like Ryan said, you're not good enough to to out. I, I mean, we saw it. They're not good enough to just flat-out athlete SMU on, on that because they didn't pick up that first down um, and, and so I think that you obviously want to get some reps with Jackson Arnold but maybe not um, obviously the risk of injury is there but but really give him some more diversity in the reps that he's getting um, so you know maybe he's got more experience throwing a pass in a in a dire situation or not dire but you know a meaningful situation mm -hmm. a more tense situation than it was last week I mean last week he said he didn't have nerves well, if you put him in the, the game against SMU when, when Oklahoma's, you know, up by three or eight or whatever the score is, then, you know, that's a little more of a, a high-pressure situation for Jackson Arnold. That gets him a little more ready, which everyone's been talking about. They, they want to see. They want to see Jackson Arnold, um, you know, be ready for the SEC next year. And I don't think that having him run a draw play every time he gets in is, is how you do that. Now... I if think he wasn't ready for SMU in 2023, is he going to be ready for Georgia and, and Alabama and Tennessee in 2024? Right. Right? I mean, I, get him ready. I, I think I think maybe the strategy behind this is like Ryan was saying, is they just want to put this play on tape. And so teams like Texas, teams like Cincinnati will see this and they'll say, okay, when Jackson Arnold comes in, they're going to run the ball into the back of the line. And then you can... Uh, they they can hopefully you know bust out a play action or some sort of different type of play. But, but I, I agree with Ryan, you know, you are not good enough you to hide things get out there get the reps practice it see how it looks and then just go try to be better at football go try to beat these guys straight off the line yeah. don't don't try this gimmicky you know stuff like that like where you're only going to run this play in this game if you if if this is a play that's going to be in the playbook go 
go out there, run it against SMU, see what Jackson Arnold looks like. Don't just let him slam himself into the back of some linemen. I can make you guys a promise right now. If Jackson Arnold hasn't thrown a pass out of that package by the time uh, Oklahoma steps to the Cotton Bowl, the very first time they get into it, on third and one, they're going to try and throw the pass. And Pete Krakowski is going to have Texas' defense because you know what he's going to say all week? Yep. Hey, guys, this dude's a five-star Put roll the tape of him throwing guys open against Arkansas State, and he has just Arkansas State, but be like, he can throw the ball the first time that they roll out there. I would imagine they're gonna try and throw the ball. Cause you know why? If they'll run that play on third and one and run it on fourth and one, if it's an incomplete pass, they'll just run the same play on fourth and one. Any coach with a brain is gonna do that. And I, I don't know anything about football compared to the coaches, but I think there's been a lot of overthinking that's happened the last year and two games in the offensive coaching booth yeah. by Oklahoma, and I think the fans are kind of over it because there were boos on the field. Yeah, what are you like doing? you could hear it in the press box yeah. that the fans were booing the third and seven run up the middle, yeah. the over and over. Uh, I don't know how much the fans are on board with the Jeff Levy experience. You, I mean, you should have you should have heard it down on the field. The boos were echoing yeah. down there. I mean, it was it was very evident that the fan base. I mean. It, we know that they're not booing the players down there on the field in that moment. You yep. know, this wasn't a Spencer Rattler situation. <laughs> this was, they were very upset with the plays that were being run. And I mean, I could hear that the fans behind me in the stands were talking about that. They were they were audibly upset with, with the play call, with, like Ryan said, how vanilla it was. Yeah, let's talk about the running game as long as we're talking about uh, Jackson Arnold and the, and the dozer package, the Jackson dozer, whatever, it's stupid. Let's talk about the ground game. Uh, Tawi Walker was fantastic. 21 carries, 117 yards. Marcus Major less so, eight carries, 39 yards. Uh, then you got a couple of quarterbacks and you got Javante Barnes, guys, with two carries for five yards. Gavin Sawchuk, one for one. We've been, we've been duped. It's two games into the season, so don't read too much into one thing or another. But uh, one guy's kind of separating himself in this running back group. I, let's start this with Tawi Walker. I would like to separate Tawi Walker for the hammering that will happen because I think the offensive line has been poor in the running game and I think the running backs have been worse outside of Tawi Walker. Tawi Walker was awesome tonight. Walk on going out there, um, like you mentioned, uh, 117 yards. And he, when, when Oklahoma was able to find a little bit of rhythm outside of the one or two quick strikes that they had, it was because Tawi Walker was able to Mo through the first guy. Tolly Walker was the guy that was comfortable following his blockers, and he was patient enough to let the plays develop. Uh, he was bouncing outside. I thought that was really, really good. And he's he's a really fun guy to talk to. He's very easy. Tolly Walker's college football, right? Walk on, coming on, having this huge role early on, someone that no one was talking about at the start of fall camp. That's really great. Marcus Major looked really sluggish i thought he he was not a decisive runner when he got the ball javante barnes still looks like he's running to contact and trying to run guys over yep. i think sasha he was dealing with a hamstring in fall camp we saw his first couple of snaps i think that clearly gavin sasha they do not feel he's 100 percent healthy or they're protecting him because the guy is explosive at that we saw it in the cheese bowl gavin sasha has star potential so that to me has to be why he's not on the field because um, we, Javante Barnes, I don't think we've been duped with Javante Barnes. I know it's kind of tongue in cheek, but like we, we saw what happened last year. I just don't think the offensive lines opened up big holes in the running game. They ran for under four yards of carry against Arkansas State. Arkansas State sucks at football, and they couldn't just mow guys off the line of scrimmage. 
They were really good in pass pro last week. This SMU defensive line had a lot more success. I think you saw that SMU didn't have the depth, didn't have the horses to get across the finish line late in the third and fourth quarter. But the offensive line, I know they feel good about it. Let's slow the roll. They, they've got some gelling to do. I don't think it's the end-all, be-all. Bunch of new starters. Matar moving over to the right side, but... They've got some work to do. They've got, they've got a lot of improvements they have to make in the running game. They've got a lot of stuff they've got to button up. Can I say two quick things on Toby Walker that I noticed from being yeah. down on the field? He's on the field for every game. Yeah. Sideline, except for next week. He'll be on the field. <laughs> so what I noticed being on the field is that, one, Tawi Walker runs really hard. I mean, like, he, again, not the biggest guy on the field, but he runs very hard every time he is – he even even if there's not a defender in his way he's running hard and when he does make contact it's going to be there's going to be a collision whether he's going down or not it seems like every time he carries the ball he just falls forward you know i don't i don't recall seeing him i mean again obviously it's smu and arkansas state but in these first two weeks i don't really recall seeing him lose yards yeah. every time he gets the ball it feels like it's a it's a gain it feels like he's falling forward and the thing that i've really noticed that he's really good at that some of the other ou backs struggle with is that when the hole is small he does a great job of getting skinny and fitting through those tight holes and getting the yards through the line of scrimmage there that's that's what i really notice is that you know major some barns some of those broader shouldered backs they could they couldn't get through the skinnier holes that OU's line was building tonight and and sometimes those are only five six yard runs but obviously it adds up I mean Tawi ended up with 117 yards so that, that's what I noticed from being down there guys my prediction that Austin Stogner is going to be third on the team this year with 40 <laughs> catches is well underway he caught his first pass tonight he's got one reception on the season for 2023 He's not going to catch 40 passes. Come on. Austin Stogner, I'm rolling the dice on you, man. Um, no, the guy that's going to lead this team in receiving, I think, showed tonight what he's capable of. Andrell Anthony, seven catches, 76 yards, had the 29-yard touchdown. Uh, and I don't think his full potential was anywhere near tapped. I see him having a, a couple – like he's going to have one of those seasons where he's got four or five 70-yard touchdowns. Yeah. He's a special player. Yeah, and Brent Minnell talked about kind of the, the defensive strategy that SMU deployed in the post game. Played a lot of guys deep and basically trying to, you know, have everybody dink and dunk underneath like you mentioned earlier. And, and so for Andrew Anthony, on paper, that should have been the thing that takes him out of the game, right? SMU, it almost felt like they were like, over oh, my dead body, is Andrew Anthony going to come in and do what he did to Arkansas State, which is hit for a 40-plus yard pass draw a couple more pass interferences downfield. Andrew Anthony showed tonight he can affect the game. He can be a part of the game plan without just hitting on vertical goal balls. Yeah. He, he had the one drop, but he, he had a really nice moment. And, and it feels like Andrew Anthony is clearly the wide receiver one. Jalil Farouk has been... Missing in action. Yes. Caught a couple uh, of passes tonight. Scored touchdown. a touchdown, 21-yard touchdown. And it was a great touchdown, too. It yep. was a, a pass that he made both SMU defenders miss. It pretty much iced the game. I know that... Major came in and had the last score, but that one to yeah. me was the one that iced it when SMU was like, okay, now it's 21 to 11. Oklahoma's extended again. But the questions we asked all offseason, is Jalil Farouk wide receiver one material, or is he just a really talented wide receiver to be in a rotation? The, the guy that's looked closest to a wide receiver one, the go-to guy, has been Andrew Anthony. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, Drake Stoops was back tonight with, from the slight shoulder separation. Caught two passes. Blocked um, really well. Blocked his butt off, as they say. Um, Blake Smith 
caught a touchdown pass. Remember him from the spring game? They told us he was a designated blocker and he'd never catch a pass and he has three career receptions and comes to Oklahoma and he's, uh, he's a big threat. He caught a big one last week. He caught a touchdown this week. I don't know what to make, Randall, of this, uh, of this receiver core. Um, and I asked Dylan Gabriel midweek on Tuesday, I believe it was, who's going to lead the team in receiving? He's like, I have no idea. Well, it could be any number of guys. <laughs> Right now, it seems like Andrew Anthony is really emerging and going to take that mantle as the team's leading receiver, the team's number one guy. But I think what's a little more worrisome, and this is something that we might have, I don't know that we predicted, but we, we talked about it. We did use this as a talk point all offseason, was the depth at receiver. Yeah. You know, tonight, tonight behind Andrew Anthony, there wasn't really many guys who, who caught many chunk plays or... Yeah, I was going to say, how many... Three, three wideouts total caught plays tonight. And, and, and did any of those wideouts other than Andrew have more than one catch? Uh, Drake had two, two and Farouk had two. Yeah. I mean, it, these guys, again, Farouk had the long touchdown where he made... They're not long, but he had the touchdown where he made, so, made a few guys miss. Um, but, but, I mean, really, we've heard about Gavin Freeman. We've heard what he is. He wasn't really a factor today. Uh, I mean, we know Drake Stoops is, is that slot receiver, uh, and he did... Drake Stoops things today, but uh, you know you can't count on Drake Stoops to lead your offense, and obviously they're not. But you know OU really needs to develop some some better receiver rotations, some guys who can step in, make these plays. Where was Nick Anderson? Where was J uh, Jaden Gibson tonight? And, well, these guys both got. I mean, we saw them out there. They, they just were didn't. Get, they just didn't get any targets. Yeah. I mean, Jaden Gibson's on the field when Marcus Major scores a touchdown, but uh, I don't think either one of them were even targeted, and so. Again, I think that goes back really to it's the... It's a coverage thing with SMU's defense, the way they were deploying. I, I get it. I think also it goes back, though, to Levy's conservative play calling, which he, he acknowledged. Good Again, that, that's, not, that's not me calling Jeff Levy play calling conservative. He said it himself, and, and I think that that goes back to why these receivers didn't uh, get a lot of run tonight. I mean, we mentioned that uh, Coach Emmett Jones, the receivers coach, was, you know, kind of ripping into a few of these guys, so that might have been on them too. They might not have had the best performance, but again, it doesn't help get in rhythm when uh, your offensive coordinator is killing the momentum of your team by uh, just running the ball into the back of the offensive lineman after a few successful drives to start the game. Um, one more. Coming out of two games, they don't have a clear-cut wide receiver one. Their running back one, Tommy Walker, has been the most effective, but you saw the one play that Tommy Walker busted off he did not have the speed in the open field to turn the corner and house it. That's right. Against Texas, you've got to, if you busted the open field, you've got to make that work for every yard you can get. Otherwise, they're more apt, especially with how the offense sputtered today, to step back up and say, okay, that's suddenly just a field goal. And we've still not seen clutch kicks. We don't know if that's a thing. The holding was a lot better today. I think a lot of last week's PAT issues were off of holds, and the holding was a lot better today. But, uh, if I'm Oklahoma, I'm not trusting the kicking game to go out there and win you a close contest. They just off of last year until you see them win you one. Like you, you need a running back one that can turn that into almost a touchdown. And I just don't think that's Ty Walker. I think that Ty Walker's a, a fine running back, but he doesn't have that top end. It's like Dominique Whaley. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like he, he bounces off of people. He went 64 he, for a touchdown against Texas. Yeah. Well, he, he's not as fast as Dom Whaley, <laughs> and he's not as much AP right either. But and so. I think that's the issue right now, especially about an offensive line that, again, I've not been super impressed with what they've done in the run game at all, just top to bottom. I, I think that one thing that was really notable to me uh, about the offensive line specifically is that when you saw Savion Bird 
get subbed out for Troy Everett at that left guard spot, it seemed like the offense as a whole performed a lot better yeah. tonight. That's that, that's what I. That's noticed. something to keep an eye on. Savion Bird got pulled out, and the, the offense kind of picked up a little bit. It yeah. Looked like Troy Everett might be taking some of his snaps, if not all of them. Savion did come back later in the game, but I, I agree with you when when yeah. when Troy was in the. Offense. Let's talk special teams real quick. There's one we're going to save for last, obviously, but kick. Kick return coverage, um, OU only allowed one kick return for six yards. Punt return coverage, two returns for minus five yards. Those guys were getting after guys on the return game. That's good to see. Um, Oklahoma had two punters tonight, ran out two punters tonight. They both did their job. Luke Elzinga punted twice. Uh, Josh Plaster punted three. I know that's way too much for Jeff Levy. But your long punter averaged 43 yards a kick, and your short punter averaged uh, 36 and had two inside the 20. So that's good. That's what you want out of those guys. Kick returns, Farouk had a 29-yarder. That's what you want. Gavin Freeman, nothing to report on punt returns, one for seven yards. The one we got to talk about is the one that started the scoring for Oklahoma, and that was Peyton Bowen's blocked punt. <laughs> How about that? You look at Peyton Bowen, you say, gosh dang, five-star safety. Kid, is he knows everything about football. They've talked about football coming easy for him. Oops, something happened tonight wasn't supposed to happen. The punt block. The punt block was not supposed to happen, at least not how it was drawn up. Uh, who, I believe you asked Brent Venables about that after the game, and Brent Venables said, you know, uh, Jay Belai works on the punt coverage as well as the special teams analyst Jay Nunez and uh, Brent Venables said that they had thought that they were gonna, there was the opportunity to block one and he said we didn't think it was going to be Peyton. Well we found out why when I was talking to Peyton Bowen. That's because Peyton Bowen was not supposed to rush the punter. He was not supposed to be involved there. Peyton said uh, my job was supposed to help out blocking one of the blockers but when it lined up and the guard wasn't over him, and he said, well, this looks different than what it looked like on film, and Peyton Bowen said, I think I'm gonna go get that, and he did. So I asked him uh, what the conversation was on the sideline, coming back knowing that you blocked it, but you weren't supposed to be out there, and he's like, they didn't say a thing. They'll probably cover it tomorrow, but as for tonight, everybody was happy, but uh, that's why, news flash, five-star players help you win uh, football games, because not only does he have the athleticism, but Peyton Bowen is just, he's a five-star between the ears. That, that's what it is. And today, guys, he played just defensively. He played safety. He played cheetah. There was a moment that he was deployed at middle linebacker. Like, he was the sub for Jaron Canick. Like, Peyton Bowen, he talked to us that he's been learning five different positions in camp. You saw that both defensively at a key fourth down pass breakup, but the punt ball. Any thoughts on uh, special teams? You being down there on the field, you see a different angle of it than, than we did, Randall. Yeah, I mean the the return by Farouk was really uh, looked really good from our angle. I thought that uh, that was, that he saw some good vision to take that uh, that kick. I, th I think that was one that he could have let bounce, and he decided to take that one out and return it. Um, the, the punt by uh, Gavin Freeman, we the punt return by Gavin Freeman. We kind of talked about it last week. It feels like. He runs the most yards yeah. to get not as many yards. He's gonna uh, pop one. Yeah. Oh wait, he popped one last week, right? <laughs> and, and I mean, every time he touches the ball, the crowd they they kind of they they make that noise. They get on their feet, like, <laughs> okay, is this is this gonna is this gonna be another one? Because it feels like almost every time he touches the ball, something big happens. Yeah. But uh, in the special teams department, I thought that um, their their coverage looked really good tonight. Of you know, punts and kick coverage looked really good. Uh, and then the one time that SMU tried to take one out, they kind of bobbled the ball, and OU made them pay. They downed them, I think, yeah. inside the 15 and close to the 10-yard line. Um, not Nothing too flashy outside of the punt block, obviously, but um, that special teams unit, 
uh, they performed just like they wanted. I mean, SMU didn't even make a PAT. So, speaking of PATs, uh, I gave Zach Schmidt a little too much credit last week. I went back and watched the, the video, uh, watched the TV copy, and he was spraying them just inside the upright. Everything it was, it was weird to watch. He does not look comfortable. Well, I don't know what his report was tonight. Did you happen to see the trajectory on any of those extra points? T tonight they looked good. I mean, okay. it, in the game notes, it said he went four for four uh, and that he's uh, in his career he hasn't missed a PAT at Oklahoma. So, uh, shout out to Zach Schmidt for that. But from, you played basketball with him. I, I played a lot of basketball with Zach Schmidt. Yep, yep. Uh, if, if you're seeing this, uh, maybe uh, text me. Uh, <laughs> the, the holds looked really rough last week. Yeah, there were yeah, two or three. There was rough. one that you had to stop. Yep. The holds were a lot cleaner. That was actually a conversation. Uh, I was talking to Bob Prisbill and George Stoy. We were like, was there going to be a change at holder today? Because the, uh, the holds were poor on the PATs last week. Did, did you notice the holder today? Because last week it was Ashton Logan. Elzinga was your holder today. So there was a change at, at holder. They announced plaster at one point today. The PA guy in the press box here announced um, announced plaster. The PA guy has been wrong before. <laughs> he's just saying what somebody's telling him. Well, somebody he, but I think I think he's just saying uh, what it claims is on the depth chart. But yep. it, it was a different holding situation. It was a lot cleaner today. Yeah. And uh, I thought the, from me, from what I remember, the PATs looked a lot better today. I, so. I, I agree. The, the the PAT situation looked normal. Good. From, no from field goal angle. attempts. No field goals, so nothing to report there. Let's get to the uh, elephant in the room, <laughs> shall we? Um, boy, there's no, there's no way to really approach this other than Parker Thune, our guy, who we've talked about on this show before, got, he he's, uh, watches the games from the sidelines. He's got a camera. He shoots video and photos. He shot a photo, you guys have seen it by now, of Jeff Lebby talking to his father-in-law on the sideline after the game. No big deal, right? Other than his father-in-law happens to be Art Bryles. Art Bryles was wearing a ball cap and an OU T-shirt, an official, officially licensed OU logo emblazoned long sleeve crimson T-shirt. Now, like I said, there's no easy way to say this. Art Bryles is a toxic figure. Art Bryles does not belong on the Oklahoma sideline, even if he is, guys, even if he is Jeff Lebby's father-in-law. He said, he's the grandfather to my two kids. That's awesome. Meet him at Applebee's after the game. You can't bring Art Bryles on the field. Uh, he, if he wants to buy a ticket, he's welcome to come to the game. If he wants to buy a luxury suite, loge box ticket, something like that, where Jeff Levy has you know guest passes or whatever, fine, he can buy a ticket. He wants to go to Walmart and buy a t-shirt, he can buy a t-shirt, right? He can't be given anything from the coaching staff. He can't be welcomed. He can't be on the field with the with the team after the game. It's, I'm sorry, but he can't. The man is toxic. His name is stained forever. Um, how, how else can we say it? Yeah. Go ahead, Ryan. After the game, Brent Venables said that he was made aware of the situations being dealt with. Athletic Director Joe Siglione issued a statement. Hoove has all of that, allsooners.com. I'll read you the statement from Joe C. I was just as disappointed as many of our fans when I learned of the postgame situation tonight. It shouldn't have happened, 
and it was my expectation that it never would based on boundaries we previously set. I've addressed it with the appropriate staff. So what he's saying is essentially, and I'm paraphrasing here because I wasn't in the room, I'm, I'm drawing a big supposition. Yes, you can hire Jeff Levy as your offensive coordinator. Just make sure that there's no, no, nothing to do with Art Bryles. Okay, Joe, you got it, man. That's what, that's the conversation between, something like that took place between Brent and Joe. What happens? Week two of season two and there's Art Bryles on the sideline. Like, you, what, what? Joe Stiglione was probably furious about this. And, and regardless of how you feel about the situation, how you feel about Art Bryles, I saw some comments saying that he was, he was, um, uh, I don't, I can't think of the word, that, but that he was, uh, anyway, regardless of what you think of Art Bryles, the optics of the situation for recruiting, uh, for potential transfers, things like that, it does not look very good. The I mean, image of a multi-million dollar company, which is OU football. Exactly. And, and again, regardless of how you feel about the situation, that's, that is the truth, is that it, it's a bad look for recruiting and for the company that is, the company, the brand that is OU football. Yeah, you got to protect the brand. I mean, Joe Castiglione has painstakingly, for the last 25 years, protected the OU brand. And then he goes out to a game and there's, there's Art Riles walking around in OU gear. You can't have that. Um, we're not going to beat it to death, but uh, Jeff Levy said uh, he was uh, he was down with our family, our entire family, after the game. Well after the game, he was down there with the entire family. So for Jeff Levy, it was a family situation, but, uh, but kudos to Parker for taking that photo. First. That's wrong. It was not well after the game. It was on the side. It was immediately after the game yeah. when, when the everyone's going over to sing the alma mater because that's when we're on the field. Well yeah. after the game, we're all in the red room. That is incorrect. Several people saw him. It wasn't just Parker. Several people in the media said, wait a minute, that's Art Bryles. And this can't happen and the way it was handled by Oklahoma's offensive coordinator where he bristled at the question, Art Bryles is stained in football. Yeah. Art Bryles cannot work in football. Art Bryles should not work in football for everyone knows the situation. How this happens, how he is on the field is a failure top to bottom. And I was unimpressed with the questions that were answered, which weren't really answered when Jeff Lee was hired about the vetting process. Yeah. I, I just wanted a better answer about the vetting process. And it was just, we went through our to-do, da-da-da-da-da, moving on. Okay, great, Jeff Lee was the offensive coordinator, all that stuff. Um, thankfully, it's not been a headache. I didn't expect it was gonna be a headache past the, the opening press conference. Of, of, right. And I was not satisfied with that answer, but the, the dealings I've had with Jeff Levy, I found him to be great to talk to, insightful, all the stuff. This is just the one thing that can't happen. It's the one thing that cannot happen at Oklahoma, a, and it did, like you said, year two, game two. It's a decision that Jeff Levy made without consulting his boss, who's Brent Venables, and his boss, who is Joe Stiglione. Obviously, if he had gone to Brent and said, hey, can I bring my dad, my step, my father-in-law, can I bring up Coach Bryles? Brent would have said, eh, I don't think so. Let me run it by Joe C. And Joe C would have said, hell no. Clearly, Jeff Levy made a decision that was not his to make. Um, Brent was asked, hey, did you see, did you know our browser was down there? He goes, I was made aware just before I came in here for the post-game interview that he was, and I think that's being dealt with, 
It's our, it already has been, he said. So nobody was happy about this. Um, Jeff Levy bristled at the questions from the media, yeah. which some of you may be saying right now, okay, move on, we're bristling at the question. All you gotta do is ask for Joe Stiglione's comment. Jeff Levy can bristle all he wants at the media. He ain't bristling at Joe Stiglione or he's gonna find himself unemployed real quick. And it, you, I mean, he's the boss. And it, it was as simple as what you said, Hoob. It's, I get it, part of the family, father-in-law, yep. grandfather. And it's a tough call. It is, for him, it is. Not on the field. Not on the field, not in the facility, not in the locker room. The, that's that's the thing. Can't be on the field, can't be in the facility, up here can't be in the, the locker room. Lounge. Be, up here in the, the low suites. The, be in the, the suites. If, if he drives the Levy family to dinner, you guys have dinner, yep. great. Go mm -hmm. for it. Perfect. Nobody cares. Agreed. And what, what I was trying to say earlier, some people have been defending it because he was exonerated. That's the word I was, I was looking for earlier. Again, that doesn't matter in this case. OU is not here to prosecute criminal decisions. It's about optics, it's about what it looks like, and how it, the look it gives to the program, the brand, yep. all of that. Yep. Anyway, I don't think we got anything else, do we? On to Tulsa. On to Tulsa. You guys can't you you can't understand how excited I am for next week's post game, where we get to say the classic, we're on Cincinnati. Oh yeah, hey, that's coming up. Next yeah. week's post game will be a two man. Yeah, the uh, word is right now that he that Randall won't be joining us. They'll have two people, one on the sideline, one in the press box. So it's me in the press box. Um, you guys can't ex understand how excited I am <laughs> to cover a road game that's uh, eight miles from my house. <laughs> I'm so excited. Should be good. Should be good. And instead uh, of instead of 140 miles and getting home at 3:30 in the morning. Yeah. Fourth, no, 4.30. I'll be, I'll be home tonight at 4.30 a.m. Uh, <laughs> good news for everyone who, who was, if you were unsatisfied with this performance, I have been on the field for Oklahoma, Kansas two years ago. Remember that contest? And I've been on the field for Oklahoma, West Virginia last year. So we, great track record. Ryan underscore, underscore Ryan Chapman. Yes. yes. Hit him up. Yes, I just, I just hope I bring no Morgantown flu back with me this time. <laughs> Anything else? Nah, I think that's all for me. That's all we got. 2.30 p.m. kickoff. Who's got the game next week? Espen? Uh, I need to look. Give me a standby. I believe Can't ESPN. Remember. Give me 10 seconds. Can't remember. Anyway, that's, uh, that's what we've got for tonight's podcast. What did I say? It was episode 205. Yeah. I'm not going to read that uh, that rigmarole at the end. You guys <laughs> know where to find Anywhere you find your podcast, go, Ryan. It's on the deuce. It's on the ESPN 2. Cool. <laughs> Anywhere you find your podcast is where you're going to find the All Sooners podcast. We're going to have tons of coverage uh, tomorrow, believe it or not. We got some, Randall was uh, out recruiting last night, covering recruiting. Tim was out covering recruiting last night. So uh, All Sooners is where you want to be. We'll have wall-to-wall -wall coverage of next week's Tulsa game, press conference, interviews, practice, all that stuff at allsooners.com. I need to do this more often. I need to do a better job of it because these guys are badasses. For Ryan Chapman, for Randall Sweet, I'm John Hoover. We'll see you guys.